Welcome once again to the Ramcheck Podcast. I'm Tony. I'm Aaron. The hell, oh, Ryan. Ryan's not here. Oh, um, forgot. Ryan called us last night and uh, said he, well, he's been sick for like the last week, and I guess, uh, I guess yesterday it was at a whole new level. Praying think, to the porcelain gods, yeah. I guess, is the best way to say it, where it's not too graphic. I think there was a toilet and a bucket involved. Oh gosh. Uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, back on track. Uh, Ryan's not here. Ryan, we wish you well. Hope you get feeling better. And uh, glad you're not here to get us sick. That's right. A- as well. So on today's edition of the Ramp Check Podcast, we're going to talk a little bit um about uh nasa completing uh one the of their james, really exciting james webb space telescope projects james webb telescope um of course information about the Ramcheck report which is our new website covering everything aerospace and aviation mm-hmm. once again that's rampcheckreport.com but uh aaron was able to get us a special guest on the podcast today that's right we have uh, air show performer aviation nut geek you you can name it uh Barry Hancock who is the pilot uh, and uh, founder of Pilot Maker Air Shows, and he flies a T6 Texan. Mm-hmm. Um, great performance. We've seen him perform before. Uh, this is actually going to be the first time we're even going to talk to him. I mean, we've we've chatted a little bit on mm-hmm. Instagram and through text, you know, setting him up to uh, bring him on the podcast. But uh, he's a really cool guy. Pretty exciting. And um, without further ado, why don't we get Barry Hancock on the line? And we're here on the phone with our very special guest, Barry Hancock. I'm getting all choked up because I'm so excited. I can't even talk. How you doing, Barry? I usually have that effect on people, but for different reasons. <laughs> now, if you guys are wondering who Barry Hancock is, he's with Pilot Maker Air Shows, and uh, we're really thrilled to have him on the podcast with us today. Yeah, he, uh, he flies a beautiful uh, yellow T6 Texan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, most of us, because I'm, I'm in my 40s, Tony's, wow, what in are my you, in your 50s? 40s, 50s. <laughs> well, we grew up watching, you know, uh, T6s and air shows, and they're still uh-huh. performing today, and we love it. It's such an iconic aircraft. And, uh, hey, yeah, thanks, Barry, for uh, being on. Sure. It's a, I, no, I, I'm happy to be here with you old guys, for sure. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> so, so uh, Barry, oh, so... Oh, oh, oh wait. Go wait ahead. I'm old, too. Thank you. <laughs> uh, we, uh... Um, we'll get into this a little bit later, but we actually met a guy that I think is older than you. Um, <laughs> didn't we meet Ed at we the did. air show? You know Ed, right? <laughs> Uh, yes, I do know Ed. Ed, Ed is definitely older. <laughs> he is. He is definitely. So, so the, um, I'm actually, actually going to buy him a razor this week, too, just for the record. <laughs> is that for his ears or for his nose? Because I seem to have that problem once yeah. I hit 50. <laughs> fair problem. That is a fair point. No, I, I actually I tell my wife all the time, I'm like, 
don't ever let me get like that. <laughs> like, pull them out, do whatever you do. Like, the crazy, like, living eyebrow thing, that's not happening in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have that uh, set up in the relationship, you know, that honesty that's in right. marriage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I guess the first question... But here's the thing. I know oh. we're talking about flying, but here's the right. thing, like... You, you both go blind at some point. Like, how do you fix that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, at some point, she's going to be like, she won't be able to see him. She can't go, honey, you got this really kind of crazy air coming out of your nose. Like, <laughs> what? Then what? Now I got to tell my kids to do it. And they're going to be like, "Ooh, dad, that's gross. I'm not doing that. Well, and I, and I hear there's a, there's a point where the mirrors just go away. People just, you know, there's no need for them <laughs> right. anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I could imagine, especially when you start calling that reflection in the mirror your best friend, you really start losing your mind. <laughs> and wait, that's bad. <laughs> and when it's a new best friend every day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh. um, so Barry, I guess the first question we want to ask you. Um, or at least I do, and I'm sure a lot of people are wanting to know, why the name Pilot Maker Air Shows? Give us a little background. Yeah, so um, it's actually quite unoriginal. Um, the, uh, the T-6, when it was the training plane of both World War II and after World War II, a lot, a lot of people don't know that the T-6 actually was served in um in 93 countries wow. um and was still in in service as a trainer uh as late as 1998 with the south african air force oh wow um, it, it, yeah and in, in the 90s it was no longer a primary trainer it was a uh, a spin trainer um but yeah i mean it was used up until really really recently um and one of the nicknames and probably its main nickname that it had was the pilot maker. Um, and the reason it was called that is because it's not, um, it, it, you know, once you get it in the air, um, it's like most other airplanes. Um, you know, you pull back on the stick and the trees get smaller. You push forward on the stick and the trees get bigger, <laughs> but, hey, uh, that makes but, sense. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, the, the airplane has a pretty narrow gear and pretty, um, and it's also um, on the longitudinal axis. I don't want to get too technical here, but because it's a tail dragger and the, the gear is narrow and the distance between the main wheels and the, and the tail wheel is pretty far, uh -huh. um, it's like um, you're constantly pushed, like running, uh, like running with a golf cart backwards, jumping in it and trying to keep it going straight. Oh wow! Um, that's <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how stable it is. So it really teaches good stick and rudder skills. Okay. Uh, and um, they balled a few up in training, you know, in uh, uh, in the military, and that's why it was known as a pilot maker because if, if the saying goes, "If you can fly that, you can fly anything." Wow, that's and, cool. Yeah, that is, and and that's probably to be said about all tail draggers, right? I, I would imagine that's just a crazy sensation to, to get used to. Different. It does require a different skill set um, because there are things, uh, forces that are present when you're landing a tailwheel airplane 
that are mitigated just by bringing the third wheel to the front uh, of the airplane. And we call it the training wheel on those kind of airplanes. And uh, uh, um, when it's you not, do that, it, 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 just, it, it, it it's nice to it's know. Not, it, it's no longer. Go ahead. <laughs> no, 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 no. Go ahead. It's sorry. Didn't mean to step on you. No, I just, I, I, was, I was just, I was just saying that um, when you move the uh, the the third wheel to the front, it takes out, it, it becomes much more stable just by doing that. So the instability is removed, which is why, you know, very few planes these days are made with, um, as a matter of fact, really the only planes that are made that way are bush planes and, and aerobatic planes, really. Um, and that's because it's a lighter, easier, you know, lighter weight construction, uh-huh. um, simpler construction, and um, gives you a little bit more versatility. The trade-off is the instability. So most planes these days are, you know, I mean, if you look at the airliners of the 30s and 40s, they were all ta- tail draggers as well, right? Yeah, that's but, right. But, but uh, they're just, uh, you know, the, it's just the evolution of the design to a quote-unquote safer, you know, more stable design. So with with like bush planes and, you know, these, these trainers of old being, you know, the tail dragger, just like you said, if you can learn to master that, I'm sure it helps you across everything. And I'm sure that's probably why these bush planes or tail draggers, just because that instability probably helps them in the field. Am I, am, am I wrong on that? Have you done any bush flying like that and tail draggers? Yeah, I have. And it definitely, you know, it helps you maneuver in tight spaces. Um, and, um, you, you know, you can come in. Um, with a little lower approach speeds um, because you can actually, you know, hit tail first uh, with oh, okay. the, the wheel back there. Right. Um, and so it does provide some more kind of low speed maneuverability capability as well. So, no, you're, you're exactly correct. Okay. And, and with the bush planes on the uh, on the main gear, the forward gear, whatever you call it, um, I don't know if yeah. a lot of people have seen those, but the tires almost look cartoonish because they're so big. <laughs> yeah, some of those. Yeah. So those are yeah, those are called tundra tires. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And you know, if you get those down to really low pressure, uh, like you know, eight, twelve psi. Oh, um, wow. And you know, they, they still land in you know boulder field as long as they've got the prop clearance i mean those tires allow you to land virtually anywhere wow pretty cool yeah that is cool wow wow um so i was uh doing a little bit of research on you and uh Uh yeah yeah, i know Um, Why did your name come up? Oh, never mind. Yeah, those Google searches, boy, they bring up just about everything. But uh, yeah, here you go. So um, I'm going back to on your website. It says that uh, your first aircraft was actually like a Chinese aircraft. Is that right? Uh, tell yeah, tell us correct. what tell tell us why you uh, I guess acquired that aircraft first because. Um, this was, I believe it was in your thirties. Is that right? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So, um, I finally had the time and the money when I was 30 to get my pilot's license. And I always, you know, I dreamed of being a fighter pilot as a kid, ended up doing some other things instead of that. Um, and, but the dream kind of, you know, never left me. And, um, 
also as a kid, I always wanted to fly the P-51 Mustang, right? Mm. Mm. And yeah. uh, I grew up watching movies and hearing that sound and going to air shows. I'm like, oh my gosh, that is the coolest thing in the world. And I still think that now. Yeah, um, definitely. We agree. Yeah, so I, um, I, when I you know, started getting into flying, I never, it was never, um, you know, no offense to people that, you know, love flying 172s. It's just doesn't, doesn't float my boat, right? So um, I was always uh, looking for, you know, I, I, I've always been attracted to, like, military history and in particular World War II history. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, I'll get my pilot's license and I'll, you know, I'll fly a P-51 being, you know, naive and knowing nothing. <laughs> and, and I quickly realized that, well, okay, hey, I didn't have the million dollars at the, at the time that it took to buy the airplane or $1,000 an hour to operate it, or, dang it, the 500 hours of minimum experience that would be required to fly that airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like minimum, minimum. And I look at it now and go, there's no way, unless your 500 hours is in a T6, that I would ever let anybody like get into a Mustang at 500 hours. But that's, yeah. a, that's a different story. Yeah. So, um, I, so I looked at the Mustang, and I didn't have the money. I looked at, you know, looked at T28s and... I, you know, I didn't know. I was just kind of poking around. Yeah. And one day I opened I opened a, an aviation magazine, and it's a backlit photo, so all the planes are in the silhouettes, and kind of at the top right corner of the picture, taking up most of the picture, is a B-17, which is an image I, you know, immediately related to. Yeah. And then the other silhouettes are these cool military airplanes, and it was an advertisement for Nanchang CJ-6As that were escorting this B-17, and I'm like, dude. <laughs> if I can escort a B seventeen with a with a I don't care what it is, right? Oh, I mean I'll yeah. do it with a golf cart. But <laughs> so I did I did some research and um found out these are actually really capable nine cylinder radial uh airplanes plus six minus three G's. Wow. And fourteen gallons an hour. And you can buy them for twenty five thousand dollars in a box and put them together. I'm like, what's oh. not to love about that? Wow. Yeah. Jeez. And so, you know, this was back in the day, right? I mean, this was 2000. And so, um, so I, you know, I looked at it when I'm doing that and I bought the, I actually bought the first one, no kidding, like in a, in a, in a, um, you know, metal frame just out of the shipping crate (laughs) for $25,000 three days before I got my private pilot's license. Oh, wow. (laughs) Boy, you were set. You knew it was going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, totally. And so I, um, so, um, and then I had done some research and I found a guy in Phoenix that was going to help me put it together. And I'll spare you guys the, the long story there, but the short story is, you know, it was going to be a bolt it together and fly it project. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that turned into a, a, a four year ground up restoration. Um, oh, wow. and, uh, I, yeah, so, but that led me down the path to, you know, the red star pilots association and then all red star, which was a, an event that um, a buddy of mine and I ran. It became the largest event in the country for Pax Eastern Block aircraft. And then I got into L-39 jets and, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's cool. I, I guess you during all that, you were in uh, restoring and then also, like, aircraft brokerage, like, like Warbirds and jets, right. stuff like that, right? Yeah. Yep. So did that for, um, well, until the economy tanked. Yeah, <laughs> um, I did it. Yeah, did that for about ten years. Oh wow! Yeah. So, so getting back to the CJ six A, 
Um, did it come yeah. with like a set of instructions, like putting a table together from IKEA? <laughs> yeah, so I'll give you one example. So it's it's uh, all the manuals are, are translated from Chinese. Oh goodness! So you don't take <laughs> yeah you don't take off. This is a kind of a, the first example that popped in my head. You don't take off in one of these airplanes. You unstick from the runway. <laughs> So go ahead and translate that into like putting an airplane together, right? Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Well, I guess at least they, you know, like like they say in the uh, what's it the uh, the old uh, Wendy's commercials, parts is parts. I mean, you know, (laughs) it's like parts is parts. I I mean, it's true. Airplanes, airplanes, and you know, eventually the, the metric and things turn backwards but you know if you can't figure out that you probably shouldn't be flying anyway yeah oh, yeah, yeah really <laughs> um, so uh let's go back a little bit further because we we've had several people on the podcast oh, and did you, like is my mom gonna be listening to this what's going on here? oh yeah everybody hey we're we're worldwide that's why we're called ramp check global you know <laughs> right? it's a ramp check podcast okay. globally and and we have okay. at least a dozen listeners now. So, <laughs> and Barry's mom. Perfect. <laughs> right. That's Number all 13. we need. Um, so you bump it up to thirteen. Perfect. Right. So so with all these people, all these guests that we've had on the podcast, there seems to be a common thread about how they got into aviation. So do you kind of want to kind of go way back and kind of share, you know, what got you into it, your early beginnings. Yeah, and, um, like a really early memory of what yeah. just got it in your blood because, I mean, that's what happens. Right, and, and you kind of have a unique story too. Be, well, and I'll let, you, I'll let you explain it as well, but um, uh, so your background isn't like 100% aviation, so maybe just kind of start from the beginning, give us a little rundown. So when I was a kid, I grew up um, outside of El Toro Marine Air Station. I mean, honestly, about probably 15 miles from the base. Mm. Um, but their departure uh, path, one of their departure was um, not directly over my house, but close enough over my house to where I could see them. Um, and, you know, I definitely hear them all the time. And um, in addition to that, Tustin Marine Air Station they called it the Browning corridor and that's where all the CH-46s and 53s and 53 echoes would fly. I mean, literally almost right over my house every single day. And I just, I was so intrigued by all of it. And by the time I was seven, I could tell the difference between an A4 and A7 and F4 and whatever else was flying out of there uh, just by sound alone. Yeah. And I'd play like a little, you know, little game, you know, with myself. And then of course, you know, with the same thing with the helicopters, and then my love of World War II, I used to watch Audie Murphy movies as a kid and, um, and all of that. And so I was like, man, I want to do this. Well, I also, as a kid, played tennis. And when I was 11, I got hit in the eye with a tennis ball. I had a torn retina. Oh. And uh, when I got to around 18, I still wanted to be a fighter pilot, but I was told that that injury was going to automatically disqualify me from pilot training. Oh. Um, oh. And yeah. so... I, I kind of I, I let go of it a little bit, but I happened to have a reasonably successful tennis career and played in college and then professionally for a little bit. And um, uh, you know, like I said, it, it was 31 when I had the time and the money to uh-huh. um, to get into aviation. But it was it was something that you know I always went to air shows. I went to El Toro. I drive myself like 
talk about a geek, right? Here's an 18-year-old kid who could do anything he wanted with his free time, and I would by myself drive from Orange County down to San Diego to go to the Miramar Air Show by myself um, because I couldn't miss it, right? So, oh, I, hell yeah. Well, I, there you go. I mean, I mean that's, that's in all of us. That, so, yeah, so that's, that's like you say, I mean, it's been in, it's been in my blood since I was little kid and I'm lucky that you know I sit here now and I'm able to do all the stuff that I do so when you were at El Toro did you did you witness the uh, alien attack from Independence Day <laughs> oh wait that was a movie uh, <laughs> yeah that's a good question I can't remember if I watched it live or the movie at this point <laughs> or if you remember anything at all are you missing any time <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious so uh, so okay so i'm gonna go back a little bit to when i was a kid and there was a particular t6 that would perform at air shows mm-hmm. in the western united states kind of just like you do uh, a lot of the utah air shows there were more shows in utah back you know in the 80s uh, late 80s early 90s um I assume you recall or remember Bill Hunsaker. Is that right? Does that name ring a bell? I know the name. Wild yeah, Bill? Yeah, it does. I never got the name fly. Okay, so so Wild, yeah, Wild, Wild Bill, Bill Hunsaker, Hunsaker was yeah. his name, and, and he had a T6, and that is where I fell in love with the T6 and the sound of the T6 because the T6 yeah. definitely does have a unique sound compared to a lot of other warbirds Absolutely. in its its own unique way. That mm-hmm. that prop is so loud and it's awesome. And I remember yep. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And people, you know, so we can just cover this real quick. The, the prop, it makes that noise because the t- uh, prop tips, um, are going supersonic. Yeah, that's awesome. <clears throat> and so that's what that's what creates that that noise. And you combine that with the rumble of the engine, and like you say, it's pretty unique. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, how, so I guess I know we're kind of jumping all over the board here, but we're just like, hey, we're talking aviation with Barry Hancock. That's Let's right. Let's do it. <laughs> more like more like Barry Hancock's talking aviation with us. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We, you know, Tony and I, and even our brother Ryan, who couldn't be here today because he's he's yakking at home. He's not feeling good. Thank God he's not here with us. Did so you ever we... fly the yak? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ironically, yes. I've got a couple hundred hours in yak. There you go. There you go. And that and that doesn't include the time at the toilet with my kids either. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's the only yak I've ever flown. But, <laughs> right, uh, yeah. I can say that I have packed the wheel bearings of a yak one time. And, uh, there you that, go. That was, gosh, years and years ago. But anyway, um, so, you know, going back to, uh, you know, all these air shows when I was growing up, and we still go to air shows like crazy. We love covering them. You know, we have our Instagram, our website, our uh, podcasts and everything, but how, how many shows typically do you do every year? And how long have you been doing the uh, flying the T6 for uh, Pilot Maker Air Shows uh, when you started? So started yeah, so started Pilot Maker Air Shows in 2015. That was my first season, uh, and it was kind of an abbreviated short season. Um, and uh, then have flown anywhere between. Um, six and 
nine shows a year ever since. Um, and you know, some of those are, we count shows differently than we count performances. Right. So, okay. yeah. um, I guess I should have said performances. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but you know, if you fly the same show Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that's three performances. Right. So, there you go. um, but, uh, so I've been flying six to nine venues a year for, uh, you know, since 2016. Um, and actually I'm looking to maybe expand a little bit in, uh, the next year. Cool. All nice. right. Yeah, that's, that's great. And, and most of what you do is here in the Western United States. Is that right? Just cause we have listeners all over the U S and, and believe it or not, you know, a few around the globe, but, uh, you know, Utah, Nevada, um, we even have an upcoming show next month, uh, in Wendover, Utah. Um, that's right. That, that you're going to be performing at. And that, I actually sent you some pictures last time Wendover, uh, Wendover happened, yeah. which was cool. <laughs> um, yeah, but so uh, that's, that's the still one of my favorite photos, by the way. That black and white. That's, oh yeah, that's awesome. Oh great, I'm glad you love it. That's cool. <laughs> and so you said that's your next show, is that correct? The is yeah, what? that's yeah, that's my next show. Okay. Okay. And, cool. and, and, and it's actually my it's actually my last show for uh, for 2019. Um, Unfortunately, I was going to go to Dallas and fly a couple shows down there, um, mm-hmm. but um, things didn't work out timing-wise. So okay. um, you were asking, like, where I perform. I mean, basically, um, I've been as far west as uh, or far east as Dallas and uh, Oklahoma, hmm. um, and that's really – it gets cost prohibitive for yeah. shows to hire me any further away because the plane's pretty expensive to move around. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I'm basically – up and down the West coast and anything from, you know, you could just call it from the Mississippi West. Um, that's where I, you know, that's where I'm talking to air shows to, to try and get hired. Um, and, um, you know, obviously if Oshkosh called, I would definitely go fly that. <laughs> Let us know if they call, will you? Because we'll come too. <laughs> yeah. Okay, excellent. Now you did go to Oshkosh, though, right? You just did. You go yeah. just as a as a fan, just of aviation, or did you do something on a professional level? Um, I saw that you guys have. Is that a beach eighteen that you flew over on? That's correct. Yeah, so we have a uh, we have a 1961 uh, Super uh, G18, and uh, we um, filled up the seats with uh, people from our flight school and you know friends from the area, and went out there for the week. So I go out there both because I'm a fan and it's fun, and I also have some professional obligations out there with uh, the commemorative Air Force and a few other things, and I'm always Mm -hmm. you know talking to sponsors and like I did a couple appearances at uh you know at sponsors booths at Oshkosh and cool and always you know always going around begging for more sponsorships so <laughs> yeah. um <laughs> exactly it, it, it's a really busy week and as a matter of fact that week was kind of crazy because in the middle of the week I also fly a, a citation 10 on track and in the middle of the week I had to fly out um so I flew in on the beach 18 the next day uh flew formation with a DC three and a beach 18 oh. the, the following day got to do a two ship with a P 51 Mustangs with my best friend that we've been talking about doing it for 10 years. Oh, wow. The following day, yeah, the following day I gave rides in the Mustang the day after that, the next two days after that I flew out, grabbed the citation 10 flew people around, ended up back at Oshkosh flew the Mustang the next day. And then the day after that flew the beach 18 home. 
Wow, rough life, Barry. Rough life. It's pretty tough. Way to rub yeah. it in. Wow. Uh, yeah, so that was that's kind of one of the craziest weeks I've ever had. That was pretty fun. That's cool. Hey, so is the Citation 10 still the fastest corporate jet in the world? The Citation 10 Plus, I think, still holds that uh, moniker. Um, I think, you know, and it's by like a one mock. Yeah. I think the Gulf Streams are point are point nine zero, and the um, the Citation Ten Plus is point nine one, or maybe it's point nine two. Wow! But so nonetheless, you know, the cool the cool thing is you get up and you go, you know, into the forties, and you're yeah. passing airliners left and right. That's oh, the fun part. Of that. Well, yeah, and I was gonna say that time to time to geek out a little bit. So I used to be a flight dispatcher for SkyWest Airlines. And yeah. we would plan all of our jet flights at either like 0.77 or 0.79 Mach. <laughs> so, yeah, wow, 0.91, good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's you know that that's that's I mean, light that's, and and right. know, optimal altitude. We we typically cruise at 0.85, 0.87. Yeah, I was yeah. just asking what you're typically planned at. So, yeah. wow, that's awesome. Oh, that's, that's great. Well, C- Cessna actually broke the sound barrier several times when they were That's testing right. the citation 10 for certification so just to make sure <laughs> that uh it's, it's a well-built jet <laughs> for sure that yeah. that is pretty cool so um another thing i wanted to ask you is and you you were talking you you briefly mentioned this while you were talking about your experience at oshkosh um when we talked to ed he mentioned something about the flight school, and you just mentioned your flight students. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so pilot makers, we're in Heber and in, uh, in Provo. Uh, we've got nine airplanes, uh, about a dozen instructors, and we uh, it, it's been kind of a funny evolution because the flight training business, you know, just kind of general flight training is not what I intended to get into. Um, but, uh, we want, you know, we were doing upset and spins and aerobatics and tailwheel, but there was enough of a market that, um, you know, we decided to kind of combine the two. So we actually teach all of our, uh, private pilot students. We, they go through, uh, five upset flights and three spin flights. Uh, and it's been a pretty successful recipe, um, mostly because, Flight training has gotten uh, away from stick and rudder skills and all attitude flying, mm-hmm. and much to our detriment as a, as a as an industry, because loss of control in flight is now the, the number one a killer in aviation by a factor of ten to one. Wow! Um, you know, yeah, some and people that, may remember. And that's at all uh, levels, commercial. Uh, yeah, that's right. Civil. That's pri- exactly right. Yeah. I was just, just going to mention. Uh, uh, Colgan Air was a crash about 15 years ago, and then Air France. They stalled that airplane from you know 38,000 feet into the into the ocean. Right. Pilots fighting on the control, not know, knowing what's going on. Um, and then there's been some others, but um, yeah, it's every level, and it's because we have gotten away from you know basic aircraft control in all attitudes. It's great to say, well, we need to be aware of this stuff, and we need to avoid it. But what happens when you aren't aware and you don't avoid and you're in this mm-hmm. bad situation mm-hmm. you got to learn the proper skill set which is sometimes 180 degrees opposite from your natural instincts right uh-huh. we're ground pounders we're not born with wings so right our instincts are are backwards from some of the required you know recovery methods when the plane gets out of whack and once you learn it you've got it and it's actually a not event and it's pretty fun 
Um, but until that, it's horrifying, and a lot of people are dying as a result of that. So we've tried to address that problem with our training syllabus. Well, that brings up an interesting point because everything is so automated these days. We rely so much on on autopilot. Uh, as a as a dispatcher, you know, I was required by the FAA to maintain my currency. I'd have to fly in the jump seat and observe uh, ten hours a year. And yeah. so when I'm up and flying, I mean, the first thing that the, the pilots do as soon as their wheels up is the autopilot's engaged. They make a few adjustments. So, so you bring up a great point is I, I think that the skills, I mean, obviously there's basic skills in order to be a pilot or even a commercial pilot, but I think that that finesse or um, uh, the skill when they actually when the automation fails and they actually have to fly the airplane, that's huge. Well, it's it's when, I guess, you know, shit hits the fan, so to speak. Pardon my French. But, Jeez, you know, oh, it's, yeah. it, 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 it's one of those things where I would imagine that, um, well, I mean, you, you see the current situation, you know, with Boeing with the 737 MAX. Right. You, I mean, we, we just don't know had those pilots had more of an upset training or you know training when all the lights are just going off in the cockpit like something's wrong you know you're stalling you're losing altitude you're doing whatever and and i think that's awesome that you're doing that barry because that i mean to to have a syllabus with that as Mm -hmm. an emphasis i think is what aviation needs right now because everything is i mean it's like flying an iphone these days but you still have to know how to call on a rotary phone so to speak right yeah no i mean i I think that's a pretty good analogy like you still have to know the basics and and you Mm -hmm. can't totally rely on the you know on the automation you have to be able to to fly the airplane you know by yourself and you got to be able to deal with um unusual situations Mm -hmm. and and that's where you know where our syllabus is um kind of different from anybody else so can i ask you this then from since you have this flight school and you're you're teaching these these basic yet super important skills can i ask what your take is on the the two aircraft that were lost for the 737 max do you think that uh better training could have uh could have changed the uh, the outcome of, of a couple of these or these one or both of these well, let me say first that A, I'm not an airline pilot, and B, um, you know, even though I fly corporate jets, they have a lot in common with that, mm-hmm. right? Um, right. Fair enough, of uh, course. But, but um, I also, you know, don't know the particulars at all. However, in talking to my airline pilot friends who are very familiar with the situation, that's what they say. Mm-hmm. They say that, um, you know, these are kind of inexperienced um, people or in- people inexperienced um, and don't, not having the training, the same type of training that we have here in the U.S., for example. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, you didn't see any of the national air carriers, um, you know, have problems with us, even though they had, uh, you know, some similar events. You just mm-hmm. click off the automation and fly the airplane. Right. Um, it looks like, you know, in these cases, they were fighting the automation. But, um, yeah. so, so, yeah, I, I do think that that's... Um, I think that's relevant. So just a couple of really quick questions before we let you go. Number one, um, when can we expect to see your schedule for 2020? So, um, you know, 
I, uh, Hill Air Force Base, as a matter of fact, I, uh, I just talked to them. I'm hopeful that I'm going to be returning to Hill next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, um, you know, then, uh, there's a lot of air shows, you know, all over the place. I know Dallas is already, you know, looking at hiring us. Boulder, um, the Rocky Mountain Metro Airport, they had a show a couple of years ago. They've, uh, they've called me and I, uh, we've got a new trick up our sleeve for 2020, um, which is pretty cool. Um, that uh, I'll get more into later, but cool. there may be another aircraft hanging off my wing that doesn't look at all like a T6. Um, you heard it here so first. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, and and, um, and then we're also looking at some, you know, maybe doing some night shows, maybe adding some some other kind of special features that mm-hmm. I'm we're working on right now. Cool. Um, and then you know the the cool thing about I think what we do that very few other people do. Like I've only really seen it from the other jet teams, um, is we've got VR uh, right along VR of our performances, so you can go to you know our Facebook page and, mm-hmm. and or or to uh, YouTube, and you can actually put on your goggles um, and uh, do a VR air show. Oh wow, with that's Maker. cool! I have never heard of that before. That is. That is very cool. Well, um, so before we let you go, Barry, just give us your website and your Facebook and uh, social media. How can people uh, find you and follow you? Yeah, so I appreciate that. Um, So our website, you know, you can go check it out. It's pilotmakerairshows.com. That's mostly geared towards producers. There's some cool stuff there, though. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, on on Facebook and Instagram, uh, it's just pilotmakerairshows. And um, we're pretty active on both of those platforms. So, uh, yeah, go check it out. Give us a like and follow us, and uh, we'll uh, keep you posted on what's coming. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. And yeah, I w- we'll post some uh, pictures on our Instagram, actually, uh, some of your performances that we have, some of those those pics. Right. I'll put that black and white up. And, and uh, we're also going to uh, – is there a, a website specifically for the flight school? Yeah. Um, there's a flight school, which is um, Pilot Makers. Dot com. Okay. And then one thing we haven't talked about, you know, people might be interested in if they're not pilots, but they like, oh, man, I've always wanted to go fly in a T-6. Mm-hmm. Um, we do that as well, and that's Utah Warbird Adventures. Um, and uh, we give rides in the T-6, Extra, Beach 18, Super Decathlon. So if you're just looking for a bucket list item, <laughs> nice. um, that's just come up to Heber and we can take care of you. Oh, cool. We'll, we'll put those links up. Uh, we, we have a new uh, aviation news website that also has enthusiast links on there for uh, aviation awesome. and uh, rampcheckreport.com. We'll, uh, we'll throw those websites up on there too. So Sweet. Awesome. Well, Barry, thank you again so much for your time. Really appreciate you taking time yeah. out of your day. And uh, uh, maybe we'll Anytime. get to chat again, chat again soon. Okay. Sounds good, guys. Thanks so much. Yeah. Hey, have a good day. Thanks a lot, Barry. Thanks, Barry. Have a good one. See ya. All right. want to say thank you again to Barry Hancock from uh, Pilot Maker Air Shows and I guess a few other endeavors, too. I really had yeah, no idea. That was pretty cool. Yeah, he's got his hand in a little bit of aviation all over. Corporate uh, jets. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. So... So uh, he's involved with a flight school, mm-hmm. uh, which yep. is uh, pilotmakers.com. Yep. Uh, and then, like you said, if you've got a bucket list item, you want to take a flight in a warbird, head up to Cedar, um, or Cedar, head up to Heber, Utah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm losing it. Um, and uh, he, 
you can take a ride in uh, in several different uh, classic airplanes. That's cool. So <laughs> all of those links mm-hmm. uh, will be up on the Ramp Check Report. Yeah, we'll put um, those up today. And that's rampcheckreport.com. Uh, whether, you know, rather us... Um, you know, saying all of the uh, different websites and different endeavors he's involved in, you can check that out uh, on uh, rampcheckreport.com. Yeah. You know, the one thing that I wanted to do that I didn't, what? and now now that we kind of know Barry a little bit more, I know mm-hmm. he probably would get a, get a laugh out of it, mm-hmm. is when you're, this is Barry Hancock, I so wanted to be like, Barry Hancock, it's Herbie, <laughs> it's Herbie Hancock. <laughs> But I didn't, you know. Got to give Chris Farley some love. I know. Dang it. (laughs) So um, just a couple of quick stories we want to touch on before we uh, end the podcast. I know we got like a good half hour of time. By the way, if you're wondering about the final results of the Ramp Check Report, um, the, uh, uh, I mean, the Ramp Check Report, sorry. Yeah, I'm Sorry, losing my train I was of gesturing here. to you, were. you for something, and it took your mind away. It's from like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> um, anyway, um, the uh, the Ramcheck Aircraft Challenge. Uh, we'll wait till Ryan gets back because, as you know, he's uh, he's a little under the weather today. Yeah, we mentioned that talking with Barry. I guess yeah. I guess we should have said that. Yeah, Ryan's at home puking, yakking in the the toilet. Yep, exactly. So. Um, Anyway, uh, some, some I don't know if you'd call it big news, but uh, I'm going to call this gentleman an aviation legend. Uh, if you don't remember, um, Captain Al Haynes. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, he is. Uh, he was the captain of, oh, what's the his, flight number here? I it's, think it was United 232, just off the top of my I head. I think that sounds right. And uh, if you remember that video... Um, they had a catastrophic yeah. engine failure, United. uncontained. It cut all three hydraulic lines to the aircraft mm-hmm. and uh, had to fly and land with throttles. There was a, um, uh, had a first officer, a second officer, and then there was a, um, a jump seating pilot mm-hmm. yeah, he that helped. actually helped them. Yep. Um, but uh, it, 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 I'm not going to say crashed. I'm going to say crash landed. Mm-hmm. Um, the video is spectacular. If you mm-hmm. haven't seen it, go to YouTube and um, just, uh, let's see, well, do you, a search you can, for... You actually, just go to oh, rampcheckreport.com and the Duh. article's on there. Um, Follow Alfred the link. Haynes, the pilot who saved millions. Mm-hmm. There's a, a video inside that article that you can click on. But yeah, it was... Uh, United Airlines Flight 232, the number two engine, which is the tail engine, mm-hmm. um, had an uncontained engine failure and shrapnel from that um, disc separating because the the um, investigation revealed that the uh, main um, fan blade disc had mm-hmm. a fracture in it, whatever, and so right. it just disintegrated. But yeah, like you were saying, it uh, cut through all three hydraulic lines and they had to actually land this thing or attempt to land it just using the number one and three engine yeah just, just throttling the throttle yeah i mean that's unbelievable that they were able to do that and saved you know almost half the people on board the aircraft mm-hmm. because of that yeah in fact uh the 30th anniversary of that was uh just back on july 19th and uh sadly captain haynes um passed away 
um, just this last Sunday. So uh, just want to give him a mention. He saved 185 lives. Yeah. And not just him, him and his crew. Oh, yeah, obviously. him and his crew. Um, but get get this. This is reading this article. This really almost kind of gave me chills. It says, when the NTSB analyzed the accident, it performed several simulator sessions with top pilots. Not a single one of those crews were able to produce a survivable landing. Wow. The board concluded that under the circumstances, the United flight crew performance was highly commendable and greatly exceeded reasonable expectations so mm. that's crazy i mean it kind of gives you chills because you know i mean they, talk about stepping up in a really shitty situation right right exactly it uh, it almost reminds you of uh captain sullenberger mm-hmm. uh with the u.s airways incident that went into the hudson um it just shows you that that how professional uh, some of these flight crews can be and how calm mm-hmm. they can be because their their training kind of just takes over mm-hmm. and you know they're problem solving they're trying to figure this out you you know that there's 300 plus souls in the back behind mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. and they're counting on you mm-hmm. to safely land the airplane it's it's crazy so yeah um, i mean w- when you listen to the uh the air traffic control tapes with the uh, um with uh, the Hudson incident mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Uh, Sully. Right. I mean, you just hear him, you know, talking, you know, air traffic control's like, well, we, you know, we can vector you back to this airport. And just as calm as day, he's like, we're going to be in the Hudson. Yep. Just, just <laughs> I mean, like it, it was a routine yeah, yeah. landing. So Yeah, just like they're a float plane. Yeah, we're going to be in the Hudson. <laughs> um, that's an excellent movie, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that is. Uh, a, Sully. That is a good movie. Uh, I think that was, was that directed by Clint Eastwood? Mm, yes, it was. Yeah. And starring so, Tom starring Hanks Tom and Aaron Eckert. If, if you haven't seen it, it's an excellent movie. Um, and I know there was like a TV movie made of the United 232 flight. So mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. if you can maybe find that on YouTube. Um, but anyway, uh, just just wanted to acknowledge uh, we lost a great man on Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, a man who saved many, many lives. And if you think about mm-hmm. it, of the he, he saved 185 lives that day. Mm-hmm. But think about all the lives that he oh, yeah. saved over the last 30 years because of that. Well, that incident actually uh, sparked. It was either NASA and McDonnell Douglas or a combination mm-hmm. of both where they actually um, had a whole program about controlling an aircraft mm-hmm. just based on, you know, thrust. And uh, I forget the actual terminology for that and mm-hmm. what that's called. We'll have to look that up. But they were able to almost perfect um, landing a commercial airliner with just using, you know, differential and thrust mm-hmm. on, you know, wing mounted engines on number one and three or number one and two, depending on the aircraft type. And, uh, they were actually able to, you know, take what they learned from that incident, mm-hmm. accident and, uh, uh, you know, go through like a program to where they learned a lot about it. So that's part of his legacy too, is, you know, he actually proved during the worst of circumstances that, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, that it, something's possible. So anyway, yeah, that, that is a cool story. So, um, do you have anything, any other newsworthy, uh, stories you want to cover really quick. Like I, like I said, once again, for all of your aviation news, 
go to rampcheckreport.com. We just launched this website a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we've had a lot of clicks, a lot of people visiting it. Uh, pass it on to your friends. If you work in like a dispatch office or something, this is a great resource. Uh, you don't want a slow day when you're just surfing the internet. Everything's going smoothly. Uh, rampcheckreport.com. Yeah, so th there's a couple stories we can hit here before we kind of end this today. Um, one of them is uh, we're going to switch to aerospace and sp particular space. Um, NASA's uh, James Webb Telescope actually hit a pretty big milestone today or this week, this past week. Engineers have joined both halves of the $9.7 billion James Webb Space Telescope. And if you guys don't know anything about the James Webb Space Telescope, you need to look it up. Yeah. Go to rampcheckreport.com, click on the article. It's going to be one of the most incredible uh, space based uh, telescopes in history of mankind. I mean, it might go down as, you know, I mean, there could be discoveries from this telescope that really change how we look at ourselves, how we look at, you know, just everything, uh, the galaxy, the universe. Um, this telescope's supposed to be, now it's an infrared telescope, mm -hmm. so it's going to be able to see through stardust and nebula and all that. The cool thing that I'm looking forward to is when they start pointing this thing towards exoplanets orbiting other mm -hmm. stars. Right. Because they're actually going to be able to measure um, the light spectrum from the host star shining through the atmospheres of these exoplanets. Right. So they'll be able to tell... They'll if be able to see signs of life yes, in these atmospheres. Exactly. That is... It's going to be nuts. Wow. Yeah, oh, I've yeah. seen a few videos. Um if uh yeah go go to our website right now rampcheckreport.com there's a great article there's a lot of links about the james webb telescope mm -hmm. itself the assembly um so when is this set to launch it's supposed to launch i believe in 2021 um it's it's been delayed obviously for geez right. forever but forever but the the thing about the James Webb Telescope is it, it's it's an extremely complex telescope in the way that mm -hmm. they have to fold it up to fit in a rocket, and right. then the way it like unfurls when it's up. You know, I mean, th this is going beyond the moon to 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 sit yeah. This is and, going and way absorb, out there, you yep. know, and so it's got this huge. Um, uh, sun shield because it has to since it's an infrared telescope it has to keep all the instrumentation very very cold right and so they have to actually have this huge sun shield you know right. unfurl up in space i mean nothing can go wrong on this we can't send a crew to go fix it right because it's, it's gonna be so far away yep. yeah and and so the reason it's taken so long is because they've tested, tested, tested. They've got to make sure to that perfect. everything operates perfectly. There cannot be any glitches whatsoever in this. And and the other cool thing is the way the, the, the mirror and the actual telescope itself works. And this is understanding from what I've read uh, through the article, what I've seen on different uh, uh, videos about this is you know it's got to be faced away from the sun obviously so it can detect the most minute amount of light mm -hmm. uh you know infrared is in the spectrum beyond our visible spectrum mm -hmm. as uh humans yeah um 
But, um, I mean, this is going to be able to see, like, some of the very first stars that were formed. Yeah. And some of the you're first like, wait a second, is it seeing form- back in time? Well, you got to remember, light only travels at a certain, certain mm-hmm. speed. So mm-hmm. if we're, you know, billions of light years away, if you think about it, you're seeing light that was billions of years ago. Exactly. So this is pretty it, oh, exciting. Oh, it's cool. I mean, e- even our sun, I mean, it's so far away. The light we're seeing is about 13 minutes old or something yeah, like that. that I don't know exactly what it is, but it's 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 a number of minutes. So the sun actually could have been sucked into a black hole and we wouldn't know for 13 minutes. 13 minutes. <laughs> or whatever. I'm trying to think what I would do that 13 <laughs> minutes. I'd probably just uh, go out on the front porch, pop a cold one watch the fireworks show because i know i'm screwed anyway or we all are i guess it depends on if jessica's around or not what i'm going to do with my last 13 minutes (laughs) but but um anyway um but yeah i just looked it up uh james webb telescope scheduled to launch in 2021 very exciting on top of uh, an arian 5 rocket uh from french guiana so it's uh yeah, that's going to be incredible. So coming up um, on our next podcast, we're going to launch a little contest. We'll uh, mm-hmm. we'll give you some details, but we're actually going to be giving away some of our ramp swag to you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically asking you to show us um, when you're subscribing or sharing, uh, you know, some of the different platforms that are available for the Ramp Check podcast. So more details will be coming up uh, about that next week. And uh, we've kind of reached a little bit of a milestone, of course, uh, when we had Texas Afterburner on. That was our 25th mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. We've had a couple of special editions, but that yeah. was officially our yeah. 25th oh, episode. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and we want to thank everybody for listening, for sharing and subscribing. Um, all the new listeners we've gained by being on Spotify, mm-hmm. uh, which is really exciting. Um, but um, the other milestone we've reached is, I believe this is our fourth weekly episode of the podcast. Yeah. So yeah, we're, that, real, we're really pushing to bring content to everybody. Pretty exciting. Week. And uh, if you've got any suggestions... Uh, on what you want us to talk about, what you want us to hear. Uh, We're going to continue to try and launch on different platforms. So this is a pretty exciting time to be a part of the Ramp Check podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, definitely. So as we mentioned, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. That's cool. Those are the two big ones in -hmm. in my book. Um, And then uh, Google Google Podcasts, Mm -hmm. and uh, we're still on SoundCloud SoundCloud. as well. More platforms coming soon, but I think we got the big two. Yeah, that's Um, right. And and you can always go to uh, rampcheckglobal.com and then click on the podcast mm -hmm. uh, part of the page, and you can listen directly through SoundCloud right on our website. Cool. Um, You can do the same thing. There's a link to it on Ramp Check Report. Yep. Uh, .com as well. And uh, when you're listening, especially on some of these other platforms, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Follow on um, uh, Spotify. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there you can share the links with your friends. And, and make sure you give us a rating. We, we've had a few yeah, we, five stars and we, some we comments. We love the rating shout out. Uh, we love hearing that. We'll definitely give you a shout out on the podcast. So Cool. Um, so I'm just going to say, Ryan, or do you have anything else you want to talk about? We just close it up right now. <laughs> uh, Ryan's not here. Oh, damn it. I forgot. Uh, Ryan is uh, 
uh, at rum follow me but he prefers you um, just follow us on at ramp check global and uh, Aaron <laughs> yeah so I'm at Aaron rum follow on Instagram and Twitter uh, most of what I do most of the aviation content is at ramp check global uh, that's also Instagram Twitter um, rampcheckglobal.com uh, rampcheckreport for all your aviation aerospace news uh, we love uh, working on that website and bringing you that content uh, we'd like to thank Grayson too for being a part of the website helping out uh, keeping the site up to date uh, um, he's fun to work with because he's just to the point and uh, <laughs> yeah. he's good to talk about aviation with um, but, uh, but yeah so Give us a follow, um, share the podcast with everyone. Um, the more and more guests we get, um, um, the more and more listeners we get, you know, the more we can do this and we love doing this. Mm -hmm. and it's, it's so much fun to bring the world of aviation and we try to cover a little bit of everything too. We do. So, um, so we appreciate, uh, all you listeners and followers. Cool. All right. Uh, oh, oh, I did want to mention one thing. Um, yeah. On um, the Ramp Swag store, which mm -hmm. is through rampcheckglobal.com, mm -hmm. um, I've been updating a bunch of new designs. Oh, There's a bunch nice. of really cool female workout wear, like fitness wear. Uh, there's some cool new sports bras. There's some cool new um, leggings, like workout pants, uh -huh. yoga pants. Uh, there's some cool new AvGeek t-shirts for everyone. Um, and by the way, those t-shirts are really cool for... Uh, both uh, guys and gals can wear them. Like, oh, they're, yeah. They're, they're really Absolutely. cool. We do have some female design specific shirts. Mm -hmm. um, we're working to do more of that. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, if if you know an av geek that's, that's a girl, I mean, tell her about us too. You know, we'd like to sell more, you know, female av geek stuff too because mm -hmm. we want to reach everybody. I mean, right. All of us are crazy av geeks, and in a lot of ways, if the female av geeks are a little bit crazier than the guy av geeks, <laughs> so I mean they're wearing a little bit of everything right? and, and posting a little bit of everything. But but anyway, so I just wanted to mention that okay. that we have more fitness wear and we have more shirts and and you know we get orders all the time, so we appreciate you guys doing Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I've had more comments on my F-35 oh, yeah. Believe shirt. Yeah, that's a cool shirt. What, what do you mean Believe? Anyway, yeah. they they love it. And, yeah. uh, that I love episode that was fast. That story, I still love listening to that story. It's one of my favorite stories oh, that man. we've heard. No no offense to any of our other, other guests, but uh, <laughs> um, no, and uh, just want to take a second. Thanks again to Barry Hancock yes, from uh, Pilot Maker Air Shows. Uh, great conversation. Appreciate him taking time yeah, with cool us. Guy. Uh, if you're looking on social media, you can find me at T Rum Follow T. R-U-M-F-A-L-L-O. Uh, you may know that I was at a concert, uh, saw Dave Matthews Band the other night. <laughs> yes, we And uh, accidentally uh, posted to Ramp Check uh, my picture of me and my kids at the concert. But, hey, we got a ton of likes. <laughs> I, I saw that before you deleted it. We had like 30 likes on that. I know. Anyway. I, I told Tony, had he had some Ramp swag on. We probably would have left it up. My, I was saving my ramp swag shirt. My ramp swag. My, I was saving my ramp swag shirt for the podcast. Anyway, 
Uh, find me at, at TRumFollow <laughs> on social media um, and, of course, at RamCheck Global. As Aaron mentioned, uh, RamCheckGlobal.com. That's where you can find the Ramp Swag store. RamCheckReport.com, Aviation Aerospace News, a link to the podcast, also a link to the Ramp Swag store. And um, right. thanks again yeah, for listening. Social media yeah. at RamCheckGlobal. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. All right. Um, since Ryan's not here for his usual send off, I'm just going to say, Good day. <laughs>